Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about a man called Otto, and we're going to be looking at actually a very important topic that we haven't covered for a while on this podcast, the concept of emotional need. We're going to be talking about how to get in touch with your own emotional needs. We're going to be talking about how to get in touch with the emotional needs of your characters. We're going to be talking about a process called meditative writing by which we can kind of get past our inner sensor in order to access that need. And this can be a very powerful way of writing, particularly if we are uh, struggling to figure out what our character wants, if we're fi- try- struggling to connect to our character, if we start to feel like our character is a puppet that we're kind of puppeteering around. So today we're going to be looking at a man called Otto. We're going to be figuring out how to connect to our characters at the primal level. We're going to be doing some hypnotic stuff to kind of get deep underneath our own inner sensor. And hopefully we're going to be learning a lot about emotional need. Now, a man called Otto is not without its problems. There's a level, and we'll talk about it a little bit more, which this movie kind of functions like a Hallmark movie, right? It's predictable. It's sappy. There are some places where you can see the writers are are not connected to their characters, right? Where where there's a level of falseness that we can feel. And it's part of what makes the movie work uh, tonally, right? It's a feel-good movie that you know you're going to feel good the whole time. You're never going to have to wonder, like, is this going to turn out okay, right? This is not succession, right? This is a really, really expensive Hallmark movie. Um, And there are elements where the writers are totally connected and you can feel it. And then there are elements where the writers are disconnected and you can feel that too. And what we're going to be talking about today is hopefully a technique that can help you stay more connected more often. Um, So that if you were working on a script like A Man Called Otto, you could get underneath some of the problems in the script and maybe take it to a deeper level. But there's one character that you can see these writers are deeply connected to and that the character is also deeply connected to, and that is Otto. And you can see that from the very first scene. And for those of you who are worried about spoilers, you don't really have to worry about spoilers in this movie. Um, You will watch the first scene. You will know everything that's going to happen. You will know where it's going to end. And all the places that you expect it to go are correct. So... um, So that said, I'm going to mostly focus on the first scene of A Man Called Otto, and then we'll talk a little bit about the the larger arcs of the characters. So the first scene in A Man Called Otto takes place in a place called the Busy Beaver, which is basically a Home Depot. And um, Otto, uh, Tom Hanks' character, is trying to buy five feet of rope. That is the tangible goal, right? So whenever we're writing a character, we always have two levels of want happening at the same time. Just like in ourselves, we always have two levels of want happening at the same time. Uh, There's a want that we are consciously aware of. Um, On the simplest level, objective in the scene, uh, Tom Hanks' character, Otto, wants rope. On the larger level, super objective... Tom Hanks' character, Otto, 
wants to kill himself. So he has a want for rope that drives the scene and he has a want to kill himself that's going to drive the whole movie. And again, I'm not spoiling anything. The moment you see a guy by five feet of rope, uh, you know what's going to happen in this film. So you have a character who has a desire to die. Now, you would think that that's where the stakes for a man called Otto should come from, but it's actually not. We need to understand the tangible goal in order to understand the stakes intellectually. But on an emotional level, that's not where we actually connect to the stakes. And the reason is most of us neither want to buy rope right now, nor do we actively want to kill ourselves right now, right? So most of us just on a pure, tactical, tangible level can't actually connect with Tom Hanks's want, right? Just like most of us are never going to ride an avatar creature. Most of us are never going to rob a bank, right? Most of us are never going to struggle for the fortunes of our father's giant multinational company and decide the future of the country, right? Most of us are never going to actually have the tangible goals of our characters. And, And what that tells us is that tangible goal is not enough right? We're understanding the characters through their tangible goals. But we are moved. We are connected. We feel the stakes of our characters through their emotional needs. And that happens on an intuitive level, not on a conscious level. So the need driving Tom Hanks in the scene is the need for justice, Right? The need driving Tom Hanks in the scene is the need for justice. And Tom Hanks' character, right, Otto, might not even be aware that he needs justice. If you asked his character, Otto would probably go, I don't need justice. I need rope. I need everybody around me not to be an idiot. I need... Uh, I need to pay for five feet of rope and not six feet of rope. If I ask for six feet of rope, I need people to follow the rules that hold our society together, right? And I need someone to work at the hardware store who is not 12 years old, right? If you asked Tom Hanks, if you asked Otto, his need, he's actually probably more likely to give you wants, right? He's not actually likely to give you his need He's likely to give you just a bunch of more want. And the reason is that most of us are not aware of our emotional needs, or at least not most of the time, right? And yet, our emotional needs are actually driving every single choice we make, every single day, all the time, everywhere, nonstop. There is nothing we do. There is no tangible goal that we want badly that is not in some way connected to an emotional need. What's also interesting about emotional needs is that emotional needs shift and change, right? So at the scene level, the primary need is justice, but there's another need that's also in play here, which is the need for respect, right? And those two needs are bouncing back and forth hand in hand. Over the course of the whole movie, there's also a need for justice, that drives nearly everything he does. But you'll notice that again and again, the character bounces into respect. And and this is something that's interesting. 
about characters, just like us, they can bounce around to different needs, right? So needs are different than tangible objects, right? He came to get the rope. He's going to leave with the rope and he's going to pay what he wanted to pay for the rope, right? The tangible object doesn't change. But within a scene, just like in our own lives, we can bounce from need to need to need to need to need to need to need. Even though there are certain needs that tend to be particularly hot for us, right? So maybe you have a need for love that's really hot, right? That you feel all the time, but that doesn't change the fact that you also have a need for validation or, or respect or comfort or safety or transcendence or meaning, right? These are the universal needs. And this is why emotional need is so powerful. When you connect to the emotional need, your structure and your character become universal. Your stakes become universal. So I don't want rope right now at all. And if I did want rope, I don't really want to cut it with my own pocket knife. I want somebody else to cut it for me. And if I was going to buy rope, uh, I'm happy to pay for six feet even if I only buy five because it's 33 cents a foot, right? I, I don't care about rope, right? And the audience doesn't care about rope. And similarly, I, I, I have zero desire to kill myself. I enjoy my life. I, 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 I'm happy. I get to do what I love every day. I've been blessed by, with a wonderful family, a wonderful community of students, right? Um, I'm healthy, right? I, I, don't, I don't have that want either, right? So, so on a tangible object level, these wants that are so sticky for Tom Hanks, for, for Otto, right? These wants mean nothing to me. But the needs are universal, right? We all have the same needs. We all share the same needs. I don't need rope, but I do need respect. I don't need rope, but I do need justice. I don't need to cut my own rope, but I do need validation or love or respect or comfort or safety, right? I do need meaning. I do need transcendence, right? I do need all of these things. And so do you. And so does everybody. And this is the wonderful metaphor by which both writing and the human mind work, right? Is that we have these universal needs that actually connect us together, right? That, that actually go, hey, Jake Kruger is not so different than Otto, right? Uh, Jake Kruger is not so different than Tom Hanks, right? That we actually, even though we have vastly different lives, we, we actually share the same needs, right? And I'm not so different from you either. We also share the same needs. And if you want to read more about needs, um, you can Google Maslow's Pyramid of Needs. Um, this is one example of the names that needs are given. Um, but I always like to think that what really matters is not anybody else's name for a need, right? Because when you're writing from a need, you're actually trying to feel it. So what's actually important is not anybody else's name for a need. What's important when it comes to need is is your name for it. And so to give you a, a, a simple way of thinking about this, 
If you imagine a giant circle, right? And, and, and this giant circle represents every want and every need in the world, right? Everything that any human being has ever wanted, everything that every human being has ever needed, right? From the most profound world peace, um, food, right? Sex, uh, uh, Academy Award, money, power, children, right? PlayStation, iPad, right? These big needs and these small needs all kind of jumbled together in a giant circle, right? And at the center of that circle is a little dot. It's like a black hole. It has that much power. The center of the circle is what I call the, the need that cannot be named, right? It, it, it is need itself. It, it, it transcends our, our language, Um. And yet you can feel it, right? If you take a moment right now and just close your eyes, you will feel the need that cannot be named in yourself. You will feel that little black hole of need, right? And like a black hole, it has tremendous power, right? It can pull things into it and it can pull you towards things, right? It has gravitational pull, right? Um, and because the need is so profound that it cannot be named, we give it names, right? Um, and on the far edge of the circle, right, are the most uh, tangible material names that we, we give it. They're, they're metaphors, right? They're, they're symbols, of the need that cannot be named, that we believe if this thing, if I had this thing, then I, the need that could not be named would be fulfilled. Um, some of those things might seem really important, but these are all on the outer edge of the circle. If I had a hundred million dollars, then the need that cannot be named will be fulfilled, right? Uh, if I just had a hundred million dollars, or if you're watching Succession, right? If I had, if I had the company, if I had the company, then the need that cannot be named would be fulfilled. Um, if you struggle with addiction, right, uh, the the drug that you're addicted to, right, may be the the name that you give that need that cannot be named, right? If if I just had that high, right, then the need would be fulfilled. Some people think, well, if I just ha had the, the perfect partner, right? If I just found love, this is every romantic comedy, right? If I just had the right person, right? Then that, that need that, that cannot be named would be fulfilled, right? And, and even down to the, the simple needs, right? Like if I had a Coke right now, right? The need that cannot be named, if I had a Dr. Pepper, right? If I had an iced tea, if I had a glass of water, right? If I had a PlayStation, right? If I had a better computer, right? If I had a more comfortable chair, if I had a new pair of eyeglasses, right? If I had a designer shirt, if I drove a BMW, right? Uh, these are all tangible objects, right? And I'm giving you some materialistic ones right now, but I can give you just as easily, these are still on the outside, right? Of the circle, uh, some that sound really beautiful, right? Um, if I could just... Uh, 
uh, help my brother, then the need that cannot be named would be fulfilled. If I could just have a job that I really loved, then the need that cannot be named would be fulfilled. Um, if I could just uh, have a community, then the need that cannot be named would be fulfilled. If I could just devote my life to helping other people, then the need that could not be named would be fulfilled. You can see, devoting my life to helping other people, an iPad, they actually serve the exact same function, right? They are a metaphor for the need that cannot be named. And how do we know we're on the outside of the circle you know you're on the outside of the circle. You're further to the outside of the circle, the more specific the need is, right? The more specific the need is, the more you're on the outside of the circle. Um, and, and the reason I say that is on the outside of the circle are the needs that like some people have and some people don't, right? The, the wants, right? Like maybe you really want an iPad, right? But your grandmother... She doesn't give a crap about an iPad. Maybe, right? Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe you don't give a crap about the iPad and your grandma desperately wants one, right? But um, not everybody wants an iPad, right? Not everyone wants to devote their life to helping other people. Some people would just prefer to make a ton of money, right? Not everybody wants the wants on the outside, whether they're beautiful or terrible, right? Not everybody wants an Academy Award, right? You won an Academy Award, you're a screenwriter, right? Um, my dentist has no desire for an Academy Award whatsoever, right? He loves being a dentist. It's actually kind of amazing when you go see him. He loves it so much. Um, he wants to explain all the, the, the details of how he's doing and why he's doing. And it's, it's actually really beautiful to watch him, but he wants to be a dentist, right? He wants everyone to understand what's beautiful about being a dentist, right? That's his want. Most of us don't share that. Most dentists don't share that one. Most, most dentists don't even want to be dentists, right? So th this is what's incredible. On the outside of the circle, right? These are the kinds of wants that a person has, and they could be really weird. You know, they can be like, well, I want a glass of water. Well, everyone has wanted a glass of water at some point. Um, and that's maybe fulfilling our need for comfort or safety or survival, depending on our feelings right now. But we've, we've, we've all wanted a glass of water, but you may not want a glass of water right now. Or, or, or you might desperately, you might be, God, I got to turn off this podcast and go get a glass of water, right? Um, so on the outside of the circle are the needs that are easy to understand. She wants a glass of water. She wants to heal her brother. She wants a tour of the Middle East. She wants to win the lottery. She wants to win an Academy Award, right? We have the, the wants that are very specific that not everybody shares. As we get closer to the middle of the circle, we start to get the wants that more people share, right? Um, I want dad to be proud of me, right? Now, not everybody has a father, but almost everybody wants their dad to be proud. Now, some people maybe have given up on dad being proud, or maybe some people are like, dad's always proud of me, right? So we don't all share those needs, but you see, we're getting a little closer to universal, right? Out here, not everyone wants an iPad. Your grandma doesn't care. As we get in here, dad's, dad to be proud of me, right? Um, I want... Um, 
I want my mom to be happy. Uh, I want to be healthy, right? Um, I want um, I want that girl to think I'm attractive, right? That is, the, these wants are, not everybody shares them, but they start to get a little more close to universal. Um, and, and at the same time, um, they're still specific, right? And, and that's why they're actually problematic, wonderful for drama, but problematic for life, right? Um, if your primary want is for dad to be proud of you and dad dies, well, how do you get that want met, right? And this is why so many people feel trapped. Or it, if your primary want, this is the whole structure of succession, right? Your whole want is just for your dad to love you and your dad is not capable of love and he cannot change. He will only love the company. That's just who he is. He can't change. He won't change. It's not in your control. You cannot change Logan Roy, right? Or if you're Otto and a man called Otto and your wife is dead, right? And you really want your wife back, right? You really just want to join her. You want to be with your wife and your wife is dead, right? So you feel like it's impossible to go on living, right? Your only way to get to her is to die. That's his feeling, right? That's what's driving him. That's his super objective. He wants to kill himself because then he feels he will get to be with his wife, right? So we have this very simple structure, right? I want to be with my wife, but we got a problem, which is the wife does not exist. She is gone, and what that means is there is no way to activate the want. From a structural perspective, this is a challenge because what do you do? Well, in, in A Man Called Otto, they have no choice. They, they flash back. And we'll talk a little bit later about why that's not totally successful. They flash back because it's the only way to make her alive. And they allow him to come up with a plan in relation to her being dead, right? Which is, okay, then I'm going to kill myself. Okay, now I've got a tangible object. So... But where we get stuck as human beings, right? Forget about it as writers. Where we get stuck as human beings is wanting things that we actually don't have the power to control, right? On the super outside of the circle, Academy Award, right? Be with my wife, right? These things we, we don't actually have the ability to control. And we get so locked in on this object, right? This tangible goal that we forget that the tangible goal is actually just a metaphor for the emotional need, right? And the emotional need, if we can actually connect to it, allows us to be much more creative in how we try to achieve our tangible goal, right? And now, structurally, we can sometimes run into the same problem, which is that our character genuinely has a want that we don't know how to dramatize, and because we don't know how to dramatize, we get stuck. They're stuck on something and we don't know how to dramatize that because that character's not in the piece anymore. It all happened in the past, right? We don't actually know what to do because we're as stuck as they are because our focus is on the tangible goal and not on the emotional need. So as we get closer and closer and closer to the need that cannot be named, um, we start to find words that are more valuable to us. Now, I, I want you to remember, you don't have to name the need. You can just feel the need that cannot be named and you can write from that place. But by giving 
the need that cannot be named names by fracturing it into different kinds of universal needs, right? By, by, by looking at a slice of the pie rather than the whole pie, it allows us to, um, to get much more creative in how we find structure in, in both our screenwriting and in our lives. So let's, uh, closest to right, right around that, that little point that's the need that cannot be named, right? There is an emotional need called love, right? And we know that's an emotional need that's not a tangible object, right? That's different from dad's love, right? Not everybody needs dad's love. Not everybody wants dad's love. Some people have had it up to here with dad and some people have always had love from dad and so it's like a given. It's not even a need that drives them. But love itself, every human being shares the need for love. We all have it. We all share it. We all know it, right? We all connect to it. When I say the need for love, you can probably right now feel that need for love in yourself. You can probably notice what it looks like, what it sounds like. There might be a shape to it or a color to it if you're a visual learner or a sound to it if you're an auditory learner or a feeling if you're a kinesthetic learner. You'll probably notice actually there are all these things. You can notice where is it in your body? You can probably turn up the volume on it, make it stronger. You can probably turn down the volume, make it weaker, right? You can pass it on to your character and, and, and write from there. And what you actually just did, just that little tiny uh, moment of just connecting to that feeling, if, if you did it with me, if you didn't, rewind this and do it, have that feeling. When you connect to your feeling of love, you're actually doing a little bit of self-hypnosis, right? You're actually doing the same exact process that we use to step into a character, to actually feel them, right? To stop puppeteering them, right? To stop moving them through a plot, right? And instead to start to be in them and understand what pulls them through the world. So we know we all have this, this need that cannot be named that like a black hole pulls things to us and pulls us through the world. In, in the same way, uh, your character has a need that cannot be named, that pulls them through the world. Uh, but the problem with the need that cannot be named is you can't name it, so you, you, can't, you, can't, uh, uh, you can't understand it as easily, um, right? It's like looking at the rainbow and trying to capture the whole rainbow rather than to capture the color violet, right? It's easier to capture the color violet. Um, so maybe for this character, the color violet is love. Maybe for you, the character, the color violet is love. You just need love, right? And you turn that volume up to a 10. You really allow yourself to feel the power of that need for love, right? It is a piece of that black hole, right? It is one of the shades of that need that cannot be named, that is sometimes extremely active in you, extremely powerful in you. It is driving you just like it is driving your characters, and this allows you to get creative, right? So I cannot get love if I'm auto. I actually cannot get love from my wife. Um, I can't get love from her because she is gone. I can go to her gravestone if I'm auto and I can show love to her, right? I can place 
flowers at her grave. I can talk to her, but I can't actually get love back from her because she is gone. But if instead of being focused on the tangible object, I am focused on the emotional need, I can start to get curious as a writer. Well, where can he get love, right? If the main need is love, if I want to write a comedy, and this is obviously a comedy, right? This is going to end happy. I'm going to write a comedy. I'm not talking about funny comedy. I'm talking about it ends happy, right? For this to be happy, it can only be happy if his need for love is met, right? Or if his need for justice is met or if his need for respect is met, right? So, so I'm going to let that need pull the character. And I can go, oh, well, he might not get love from his wife anymore, but maybe he can get love from his neighbor. Maybe he can get love from a cat, right? Um, maybe he can get respect from his neighbor. Maybe he can get respect from a cat. Maybe he can get respect from an internet journalist that he has no respect for, right? Maybe he can ju get justice from an internet journalist that he has no respect for, right? There are actually a million opportunities for him to get his need met. So this is what's beautiful about need. Need opens your creative mind, right? Both as a writer and as a human being, right? So next time you're like, oh, I'm saving every penny. I need the iPad. I need it. I need it. I need it, right? You might want to ask yourself, like, well, what, what emotional need does it represent to me? Does it represent love? Do I feel like if I had the iPad, I'd be loved? Does it represent meaning, right? If I had the iPad, then I would be a creative artist and people would know. Does it represent making it? Does it represent success, right? Does it represent power? Does it represent transcendence? Does it represent justice? I've worked my whole life. I deserve a good piece of electronics, right? I'm a writer, damn it, right? I deserve to have an iPad so I can capture my thoughts. Does it represent comfort? Right? Uh, I know I won't forget anything, right? I'll, the comfort of knowing I have this thing, I can write it down, I can capture anything, I can get to the internet anytime I need. I feel comfort by it, right? Does it represent safety? Um, you can see that the iPad can represent a thousand different things, right? Does it represent, you, you might have your own name, you might not call it comfort, right? you might call it something different. You might not call it love. You might call it something different or you might just call it, well, that, that warm feeling in my chest, right? But when you can connect to the specific shade of the need that cannot be named, right? That specific piece of the rainbow that is pulling you, right? It, it starts to inflect everything. So again, just to simplify this all because we just went really deep, Every time we write a character, there's emotional need and there's tangible object. Emotional need takes play is, is one of those needs that surround the very center, those universal needs around that point, right? That black hole of need that cannot be named. And as we move towards the edges, we start to get to the tangible objects, right? And the more specific the tangible object, the more towards the edge of the circle it is. And that means actually the easier it is to write.
The more specific the tangible want is, right, the easier it is to write. And the more specific it will be, the more we'll start to understand your character. And the more powerfully we feel the emotional need, the more it will inflect the scene and show us how to write it. Now, some writers are really good at going in through the tangible object and letting that carry them to the emotional need. In other words, I want five feet of rope and that carries me to I need justice, to feeling the character. For other writers, other writers really struggle. You might be one of these writers, really struggle to name the tangible object, right? They really, really struggle. What should it be? What should it be? I don't know. The, does he want five feet of rope or does he want a canteen or does he want a new hammer? I just, I don't know what he wants. And, and here's the amazing thing. The want doesn't matter. So if you are somebody who struggles to find the quote, right tangible object, well, don't worry about it you might try going in through emotional need. You might notice, well, what need is hot? Again, you want to use those universal needs. Is it love? Is it comfort? Is it respect? Is it justice? Is it safety? Is it transcendence? Is it meaning? You can start by going into yourself and just noticing what need is hot. You can just run through that list. Love, justice, respect, comfort, validation, meaning, transcendence. You can feel those needs in yourself and you can go, hmm, which of these needs is hottest for me? You can play with it. You can look at what it looks like, what it feels like, what it sounds like. You can turn up the volume. You can make it stronger. And then you can step into your character, right? You step out of yourself and into your character and you can ask yourself, is their need the same as mine? So one option is you can actually place your need in your character. You can go, here, Otto, take my need. Take my need for love. Take my need for justice. Take my need for respect, whatever's hot. Or you can step into your character and feel the need in their own body and ask yourself the same question. Is it love? Is it justice? Is it respect? Is it validation? Is it comfort? Is it safety? Is it meaning? Is it transcendence? Is it some other word that's universal? Is it just a feeling? Where do they feel it? Turn up the volume, right? And then you can send them anywhere, right? And you'll see this in a man called Otto, right? You send Otto to the Busy Beaver hardware store and he's going to try to get his need for justice met and his need for respect met. You send Otto to his neighborhood street and he's going to try to get his need for justice met, right? He's going to try to, that, that parking thing is in the wrong place and the gate is open, right? And this is unjust, right? It's unjust because he has dedicated his life to keeping his community the way it's supposed to be. It's unjust, and on a much bigger level, it is unjust because his wife was taken from him, right? And he needs her. And so this need for justice is so hot and you could just see it in every scene, even though he does bounce around to other needs. All the same universal needs that we bounce around to, even though he kind of always ends up resetting to justice. 
you can see this also starts to connect the theme. What's the theme of the piece, right? At the end of the piece, Otto gets justice, right? And this is actually what we're building. So we can build theme around emotional need. We can build want around emotional need. You literally take your character anywhere, right? Take your character to a Starbucks, try to let them get love from the barista. Then let them get respect from the barista. Then let them get validation from the barista. Then let them get meaning from the barista. Then let them get transcendence from the barista. Then let them get safety from the barista. And you will notice that suddenly the tangible objects become clear. So we need both. We cannot write without both. If we write with a tangible object without feeling the need, our writing is going to feel thin. Our characters are going to feel like paper cutouts. And the audience, for reasons that are very hard to explain intellectually, are going to go, eh, I didn't like him. I found him unlikable or I didn't care, right? And you're going to keep on trying to figure out a bigger need or a bigger, or you're going to keep on trying to figure out a bigger want. It's not going to work. And the audience doesn't care. It's often because the emotional need is not there, right? So do they understand the tangible object? If they do and they still don't care, then you're either not making it hard enough or the emotional need is not there. And honestly, often they're in the same, it's the same cause, right? Because without an obstacle, we can't really see want or need. This brings me back, this brings me back finally to the opening scene of the man, A Man Called Otto. So the opening scene of A Man Called Otto, we send Otto into the busy beaver. He wants to buy five yards of rope. The first thing that happens he pulls out a pocket knife in the middle of a hardware store. And a young, concerned clerk comes over and says, ah, hey, can I help you with that? And Otto basically says, well, you know, do you think I'm going to cut myself and bleed all over your store? Do you think I'm going to sue you, right? Uh, you can feel, right, the want is to cut his own rope. The need is for respect, right? Do you feel that? Why does this little kid think that I can't cut my own rope? I need respect, right? There's a little justice under there too, but really it's respect. And so Otto makes this really odd choice that most of us would not make. Most of us would be like, oh, sure, sorry, sorry, cut it, right? Or we'd be like, thank you so much. I, I didn't really didn't want to cut it myself. In this case, Otto demands that he's going to cut his own rope. Now, this is such a wonderful introduction to the character. For all the flaws in the film, this is such an introduction, wonderful introduction to the character, right? This is something called a vignette. In this moment, we get both parts of the character. We get the want. I want to cut my own rope. And we feel the need, respect, right? We feel both pieces happening at the same time. And why? Because of the obstacle. If you don't send that kid over to help, help, right? If he doesn't say, no, you're not allowed to cut your own rope, then we never get to watch Otto make all these decisions. We'll never understand how badly he wants the rope. We'll never understand how badly he wants to cut it himself. And we will certainly not ever understand how badly he needs the emotional needs. So these pieces end up functioning together and together they reveal the how of Otto and we get him at that moment. 
And in fact, every time we see Otto from this point forward, he's either going to be doing a mirror, meaning he's going to be doing a similar idiot. Do you think I'm going to bleed all over the place? Then I'm going to cut my own rope. He's either going to be doing a similar thing that outdoes it, or he is going to be doing a contrasting thing as we get much deeper into the movie where he actually starts to be kind and vulnerable. Where the need for love actually ends up transcending the need for justice. So this is how a man called Otto works. This is how the character works. This is what the actor is doing, right? He's connecting to the emotional need. This is why his character is so believable, even inside of a completely contrived structure of this film. Want, need. Also, the objective reflects the super objective. He wants to kill himself. He's going to spend the entire movie trying to kill himself, right? In fact, it's not until the end of the movie, right, when I'm not ruining anything. If you really, really have no ability to predict happy endings, um, then you might want to close your ears. But no, you know he's not going to kill himself, right? You know that this is a happy story. You can feel it from the way it's built, right? You can feel that you're watching a Hallmark movie throughout. This is going to end happy in exactly the way you expect, right? So, Once you really lock in the want and the need, you could just mirror and foil your way through the whole script. Everything becomes so much easier and you are connected to the character. But you have to honor that. So a very interesting thing happens right in that opening scene, right? We have that wonderful vignette, right? And then we have another wonderful vignette, right? Where he's, again, it's just a mirror, right? The guy tries to charge, the same kid tries to charge him uh, for six feet because they charge by the yard instead of five feet. It's an extra 33 cents. Any of us would go, it's fine. A guy behind him even goes like, here, let me give you 33 cents, right? But Otto needs justice, right? So the need for respect has been replaced by the need for justice, again, because of an obstacle, right? If the kid just charged him for five feet, there would be no need for respect and no need for justice. The need for respect was met when he cut the rope himself. There would be no need for justice because there's no injustice happening. But the moment... The moment that kid charges him for five feet when he paid for six, the need for justice arises. And the need for justice that Otto is reacting to as he fights for 33 cents is not about 33 cents. And we can feel that. It's part of what makes him interesting. We don't know exactly what it is yet, but we know something terrible happened to this character. And eventually we're going to find out that his wife died. The justice that he wants, the justice that he needs, the justice that is triggered at that moment, the rope has become a symbol for his wife's death. The injustice of the rope has been, has been mistaken for the injustice of the wife's death and the character is feeling the same level of intensity of emotions around the 33 cents that he feels around his wife's death, right? Now, this is how our psychology works too, but this is where stakes come from, right? The stakes in this 
opening scene, if we really look at it from a tangible perspective, is 33 cents. Nobody gives a shit. But that's not what we feel in Tom Hanks's performance, and that's not what we feel in the writing. What we feel is the weight, the anger, right? The full power of the need that cannot be named as expressed through this aspect of justice. We're going to watch that drive the whole movie. Now, in order to write from that place, right, you already, if you listen to the beginning of this podcast, you already access that need that quickly, right? Just by closing your eyes, feeling it. You connect to the emotional need. You let the emotional need pull you. You notice the tangible objects that the character attaches to. What the tangible object is doesn't matter. You get a bad note from a development executive, no problem. What's the emotional need underneath? That's where the stakes really come from. The tangible object is just plot, right? If they want the character to want a uh, uh, a, uh, a a wood chipper instead of a piece of rope, it doesn't matter. What matters is the need for justice, right? Why did that girl get the sale price when I did not? Right? The need is for justice, and that's the need you want to attack. Now, once you feel the need, you want to be honest about what you see, feel, and hear in the scene. Right? And this is the first place. This same beautiful scene I wrote is the same place where the flaws of a man called Otto first emerge. So you might notice that the clerk who offers to help is the same clerk that checks him out 30 seconds later. And this is that first little falsehood. It's such a little falsehood, right? They're probably just trying to not Taft Hartley another actor, right? Just not pay another actor. But that's just not the way hardware stores work. Not of that size, right? This place has a manager, right? They have the people in the aisle. It's a huge hardware store, right? When you're at Walmart, right? It's not the same person in the aisle that's checking you out. They have a cashier. (laughs) right? This is not a big deal. It's just a little tiny lie. But when you start to write those little tiny lies, what happens is it disconnects you from the character, right? It disconnects you from the reality, right? And if you continue to watch A Man Called Otto, you will see that it is filled with these little tiny lies. They're not huge lies, but they're just enough lie to shatter the reality of the piece. Now, on the one hand, this kind of helps you feel that hallmarky feeling, right? Everything's going to be okay. You're not in a real world, right? It reminds you on a tonal level, you're not in a real world, right? Nothing bad is going to happen. This is a movie, right? This is You could watch this as second screen content, that horrible word that makes me want to die, right? The idea that you can watch it on your phone while you're doing something else. Nothing's going to happen. You know it's fake. Um, but I think new screenwriters have a really hard time selling these kinds of movies, unless you're working for Hallmark. Hallmark employs a lot of my writers, and it's wonderful, and they have a formula, and people get paid, and that's great. Um, but if you want to break in... Uh, in the indie world, if you want to break into the Hollywood world, you got to write movies that people believe, right? You can follow the formula when you're famous, but you can't follow the formula when you're not. You have to be disruptive. And so that little lie, right? 
that little light. No, that's just, it wouldn't be, that's not who it would be, right? And we can see that kind of echoed in other places, right? So we have the cat and we're like, oh my God, no, there's a cat. So we know he's going to save the fucking cat, right? And we know when he saves the cat that the cat is going to heal him, right? And then the cat does heal him. And oh God, right? It's so predictable, right? Uh, now, what's interesting is at first he's mean to the cat, and I want to remind you, we still love him, even though he's mean to the cat. That's actually more believable. So at first he's mean to the cat, but eventually he's going to be nice to the cat, and he's going to save the cat, and the cat's going to save him, and oh, you know what's happening. You know what's going to come. And if it doesn't have Tom Hanks in it, you're going to go, oh, it's a Hallmark movie. But there are other elements of this too. So you notice there are like two guys in the neighborhood who both do these like ridiculous exercises. Um, and one of them, despite exercising all day, every day, seems to have not lost any weight or gotten in any kind of physical shape, right? There's a little lie there, right? We can just feel it's false and we can feel that character begging us to laugh. But we're not actually laughing, right? The character is trying to be funny, but he's not grounded. There's no need. There's no want. There's no reality there, right? He's just doing something that's designed to be ridiculous and designed to bother Otto. And we feel that little falsehood, right? And it undermines the, the structure. We feel the same way. There, there are a million places where I could point this out throughout a man called Otto. Oh, here's a great example. Otto... It's one of his dominant traits, right? That he is a planner. He does everything right. He really prides himself on his abilities, right? He has been taking care of this place. He is like a walking encyclopedia of tools and handymanness. And that makes it totally false the moment where, and little tiny spoiler here, he tries to hang himself. Uh, for I believe the second time, maybe it's the third time he, he, but this time he actually steps off and the hook falls out of his ceiling and it's false. It's false. That's the writer not working hard enough. They're not honoring the truth of who the character is. They're honoring a way to propel a structure forward. Yet if, uh, if the, the husband who's always falling off a ladder tried to hang himself, this is exactly what would happen. But there is no way that Otto didn't check the strength of that hook before he tried to hang himself on it. There's no way, right? Because it's not who he is as a character. It's not true to him. And when you get disconnected like that, you know what happens? Your audience gets disconnected too, right? We feel the falseness, even if we can't put our finger on it. And yes, it does in a Hallmark movie reassure us that nothing actually bad is going to happen. But when you're trying to write a disruptive film that's going to actually grab somebody, you can't get away with that. If you don't have Tom Hanks attached, you cannot get away with that. Um, similarly, the neighbor, right? Out of all the neighbors in this community, Right? Why is she obsessed with Tom Hanks, the biggest jerk in the community? Why ask him for tools when there are so many other people she could ask for tools? The best friend. Do we really believe that their friendship ended 
because one bought a Ford and one bought a Chevy? Do we really believe that, right? It's an idea, but is it true? Is it true to who these characters are, right? Um, do we really believe that this catatonic man is going to come back to life because Otto is feeling better? Is that actually true, right? Um, do we actually believe that the uh, evil company that's trying to buy the apartment building, do we really believe that somehow they have violated HIPAA rules? I guess they've talked to Otto's doctor or Medicaid or like, how, how did they know Otto's medical information? Yes, it's a movie about justice and we want to feel like it's unjust, but how the hell do they know, right? These little lies, right? We might not even perceive them, but we feel them, right? On one level, it makes the movie feel really safe because we know it's fake. But on a, another level, it makes the movie feel false. And as a writer, when you write to those places, it disconnects you from the characters. And you probably noticed that even though the characters were asking you to laugh, you didn't laugh. You probably notice that outside of the Tom Hanks character, outside of Otto, it's actually very hard to feel or believe any of these characters. And that makes it harder to believe the structure. We can predict the structure because we know it's going to happen and it happens the way we expect, but the truth of the characters is not being honored. The writers are doing a piece of the meditative writing, but mostly they're doing a lot of puppeting right? Making characters do things that are not true to themselves in order to force the structure to happen. And when that happens, we get disconnected. Again, if you're writing for Tom Hanks and that's what he wants, you can get away with it. If you're writing as a new writer trying to break in, you absolutely cannot. The last piece of the problem in this in this film is like many flashbacks, these flashbacks don't really work. And, and the reason the flashbacks don't really work, at least for me, now, look, this movie has uh, a lot of good reviews and then a lot of bad reviews, right? It's mixed feelings. Some people love this film, right? Um, so I'm not trying to talk about does it work from a I liked it, I didn't like it perspective. I'm trying to talk about does it work from a... a from a structural perspective. And the reason the flashbacks don't work is that the flashbacks are there to explain why. Why is Tom Hanks like this? The, 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 the flashbacks themselves have no structure to them. They are just there to elucidate. Let me tell you why. Let me tell you more about him. Let me help you understand why he's like this and what he has to move through to be not like this anymore. And why is not interesting, but more importantly, why disconnects you from the character? Because why puts you in the conscious mind, the tangible object mind, the psychology 101 mind, right? And the why that you're going to come up with is boring because it's exactly the why that we would expect, and the solution is exactly the psychology 101 solution that we would expect. And the effect is we're predicting the whole movie, but also it feels, once again, it feels false, even though it makes sense. 
What's actually valuable, if you want to connect to need, if you want to connect to character, do not ask yourself why. And don't build a bunch of flashbacks to ask yourself why. Instead, ask yourself what? What does he feel? What does he want? Where? Where does he feel it? Where does he try to get it? Where does he do it? When? When did it happen? How? Right? You want to ask these questions. What, where, when, how? These bring you to the subconscious mind where you can connect to the need. You don't write scenes to dramatize why. Why does this girl love him? What is their connection? We never actually know. And the reason is that those characters are not being written as characters. They're being written as exposition. We don't actually get to understand what she connects to about him because neither she nor he are acting on their wants or their emotional needs. Neither she or he are real characters, right? She is perfect. He is perfect, but going through a rough time, right? They don't have any real psychology going on. So what I want to encourage you to do, right? When you watch A Man Called Otto and do watch it, right? Learn from it. There's a lot of beauty in this script. There's a lot of well-written moments, but there's also a lot of untruth. And what I want to push you towards is truth. I want to push you towards truth on the emotional level, right? The need that comes up is the right need. I want to push you towards truth on the tangible level, right? Find a fun, tangible goal for Tom Hanks's young character. I'm sorry. Find a ta- fun, tangible goal for Otto's young character. A fun, tangible goal for, for his wife's young character, right? Let them do some cool stuff. Let them do some cool behaviors. Let them push against each other in interesting ways. Connect to the real emotional need. Find the friction and the tension, right? Don't let her exist as a symbol, Right? Let her be a human being. She wasn't perfect. She's complicated, just like everybody else. You can't just honor the emotional needs of your main character. You have to honor the emotional needs of the characters around them. And just to end today on a kind of spiritual place, this is true in your life as well. You are being driven by emotional needs, even though you think you're being driven by tangible objects. If you want to live a happier life, when you start to feel that emotional need driving you, you see fresh, I need this so bad, I can't have happiness without it, right? When you start to feel that, you want to ask yourself, what emotional need does it represent? You want to go deep inside and feel it. Then you want to get curious it doesn't mean you don't try to get the thing you want, right? It's actually the journey, not the thing that fulfills the needs. And, and no thing will fulfill the need forever, right? It fulfills it for a moment and then a new need comes up. And that's not bad. That's part of life, right? I'm not suggesting that we should go sit under Bodhi trees. That makes bad drama, right? And kind of boring life. Yes, we want to be able to do that thing where we go inside and go, oh, that's so interesting. This is my need for justice, Oh, isn't that interesting? That's why I think I need $100 million to have anything in my... uh, Because I've worked so hard, right? Whatever that thing. That's why I need the BMW, right? That's why I need this whatever, right? You can connect to the emotional need and you can get curious. What are other ways for me to get that emotional need met? But in the same way, you need to honor the emotional needs of those around you right? To have authentic relationships. So next time someone's acting crazy, don't go, oh, they're crazy, right? 
as both a writer and a human being, ask yourself, I wonder what emotional need is underneath that, right? When someone's doing something irrational and illogical, don't say they're irrational and illogical, right? They're human. All humans are irrational and illogical. Instead of connecting the emotional need, what need are they trying to have met? And if you start to notice that, first off, it will help build empathy and connection with other people. You can start to realize that you're actually just as irrational as they are when you're pursuing your emotional needs and you can start to help them get more creative in the same way you get more creative. But you'll also start to realize that you start to learn how to build structure, right? Which is that instead of judging characters or instead of forcing characters, instead of saying you should do this or this makes sense, you start to realize that you start to push towards the things that don't make sense, right? You start to understand and get curious about the emotional needs. So if, for example, the neighbor keeps on harassing Otto and you feel like that's true and it doesn't make any sense because there are a million other people she could get ladders from, you might connect to, well, what's her emotional need? Right? Is it love? Does he remind her of her father? Was her father like that? Is there some, she trying to heal something, right? Um, or is it justice, right? Is she going to give him as hard of a time as he's giving her, right? Is it respect, right? Is it comfort, right? Is it power, is it control? Like what is actually driving her, right? And when you do that, rather than feeling like a puppet doing your action, she will start to feel like a real character. I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you are getting a lot out of it, please write us a five-star review on iTunes or whatever podcasting service you use and come study with me. You can do it online from anywhere in the world. We have a free class every Thursday night, writeyourscreenplay.com slash Thursday. Um, we have ProTrack mentorship program that will pair you one-on-one -on -one with a professional writer who meet with you every week or every other week, read every page you write. We have a ton of wonderful foundation classes and master classes. So come check it out at writeyourscreenplay.com.